Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Trisha Nelson. Trisha lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. Trisha is an emotional eating expert and author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She also certifies health coaches so they can get better results, referrals, and revenue by helping their clients overcome emotional eating. Trisha is the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and she's a well-respected speaker and has been featured on numerous media outlets, including NBC, CBS, Fox, and Discovery Health. In the episode, Trisha explains how to tell the difference between emotional eating and food addiction, why diets don't work, how to use her PEP test to stop emotional eating, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a ton of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I place an order on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order. And I'm able to place every Thrive Market order from the comfort of my couch via their website or app. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so happy you're hearing this because outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, drinking meal replacement shakes, or other unsustainable extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that are one-size-fits-all and only provide short-term results, I help you make effortless, evidence-based habit changes so you can drop those pesky pounds for good, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. You can learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com, and please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, it's time to hear from Trisha. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. 
Hi, Tricia. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We just found out we're pretty close by, uh, both in California, but um, you are in LA and I'm heading there tomorrow. Very excited about that. So (laughs) yeah, I can't wait. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your background and specifically what your journey has been with emotional eating and how it led you to start Heal Your Hunger? Absolutely. You know, my uh, struggle started way back when. (laughs) So, um, I mean, as far back as I can remember as a kid, I had a real love of food. And I really thought that's all it was. Um, I love to eat. I love to cook. I love to go out to dinner, you know, serve like serve food to other people. So it was a big highlight for me. And I didn't really think there was anything about it beyond that. Um, but when I started to gain weight, um, in adolescence, then I started to get concerned and I really hated being overweight and, no matter what I tried, uh, any kind of diet, I always gained the weight back so I could lose weight. But then, you know, I was, I was a yo-yo dieter. So I was like up 30 down 20 up 10. And I had about five different sizes of pants in my closet. Cause I never knew what size I'd be. And so mm. that was just kind of how it went for me. And I got to a point where I just felt so discouraged, um, you know, because I tried so many different things. And so what happened is I got to the point where um, I felt like there's got to be a better way, you know. And Mm -hmm. so I was blessed to meet somebody who had a whole different way of going about it where I didn't have to diet anymore, but it really involved dealing with the underlying causes of emotional eating. And so... Um, you know, when I first heard, heard about the words emotional eating, I thought, well, that's not me. I just like food. But, you know, over time, I really started to notice that I have absolutely a, a, an emotional connection and dependence on food. So addressing that, you know, and going deeper with um, my emotions and stress and all that, that made all the difference for me. And I was blessed to be able to lose, you know, 50 pounds and keep it off. I'm sure so many people can relate to that struggle. I know I can of the up, down, up, down, yo-yo. And, Mm. you know, anybody really can kind of go out there and lose weight doing some crash diet or something. But my question is always, can you keep the weight off long term? Um, I'll have clients come to me and they'll say, oh, I tried X and it worked. Like keto, (laughs) for example. And I'll say, oh, that's great. I mean, so it, it... worked. Tell me more about that. And they'll say, oh yeah, it worked until it didn't work. I I lost 30 pounds, but then I gained it all back. But really that didn't work, right? If it, if it caused you to not have sustainable lifestyle habits in place, or like you're saying, get in touch with the deeper issues going on, um, below the surface. Yeah. When you say you are really a lover of food, I can relate to that. I love eating out at restaurants and not so much cooking or baking, but I do love eating. (laughs) Um, Uh But what would you say is the difference between somebody who's like a foodie who loves food and then an emotional eater and a food addict? And how can someone know where they fall? Is there a spectrum or how do you kind of figure that out? 
Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. I I really believe it is a spectrum because I think we're all hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. You know, I mean, just think of a mother and her child uh, breastfeeding. I mean, that's a totally emotional connection, you know, and experience. And we all, I think, have the capacity to go overboard, you know, hit it too hard on the ice cream or the chips or whatever. Um, so I think we all have emotional eating you know, abilities, um, but not everybody takes it to the extent of being a food addict. So I, I'd say emotional eating is on the low end and, and food addictions on the high end, which is definitely where I lived. I lived in the food addiction territory. And, um, you know, what qualifies where somebody ends up on that spectrum are two things. One is their level of control to scale back or course correct. So let's say somebody goes on a cruise, they eat too much, drink too much, they come back, they feel bloated, their pants are tight, and they're like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to eat any sweets for two weeks. I'm going to jog mm. an extra five miles, you know, every other day or something or, or whatever. And so boom, five pounds is off in a couple of weeks um, versus, you know, somebody who loses control when they eat and they go into these terrible binges and then they feel terrible. And, you know, they go down a rabbit hole of weeks on end of weight gain. You know, that's somebody who can't course correct so easily and it affects them. So the other it's control and the other is consequences. So mm. somebody who just gives five pounds, but can take it off, not a lot of consequences, but somebody who binge eats and struggles chronically with their weight up and down, like I did, you know, that's again, more in the food addiction territory. And that's when it's affecting so many areas of their life. It affects their self-esteem. It affects their, you know, sex life. It affects their energy level, their mood, um, you know, their, their, just their self-concept. So that's when it's really taking a toll with a lot of consequences and perhaps even health issues like joint pain and, and diabetes or pre-diabetes. So um, it's definitely a spectrum. And I actually have a quiz on my website, which helps somebody determine where they are on that spectrum. So somebody can take this free quiz and get a personalized score, which tells them exactly where they are on that spectrum, whether they're an emotional eater or a food addict or somewhere in between. And that's at healyourhunger.com. Oh, cool. Awesome. I'll link that up um, in the show notes for sure. Great. I think you're probably on board with me in the sense that there's not really a one size fits all diet or approach that works for everyone. There has to kind of be nuance involved. And as you're saying, with emotional eating and food addiction, there's a spectrum. And I don't know if you see this as much as I do. It could just be the sphere I'm in on Instagram and Facebook, but in response to strict diet rules and diet culture, there's now the push for intuitive eating and just kind of learn your body's cues and keep all foods around all the time. And eventually you'll become desensitized to them. And I've had people come to me and say, I can't really do that yet. Right. Like there's a lot of work that has to go on before you can do the more intuitive eating thing or right. keeping everything around all the time may not work for everyone. And I know for myself, I feel like I'm pretty in control of cravings and I have a pretty healthy relationship and mindset about food now, but I still choose not to keep things like ice cream in my freezer all the time and enjoy ice cream outside of my home, a scoop here and there on vacation or when we're at a cute ice cream shop. So I'm curious of what do you feel about that kind of intuitive eating moment movement and this idea that we should be able to keep all of these more triggering foods around all the time to 
develop a healthier relationship with food. Well, and, and, uh, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I, uh, my experience is, um, again, back to the spectrum idea. It really depends on where somebody is on that spectrum. Like I was a food addict, like I was totally out of control of food, total sugar addict. And so, you know, through much, you know, trial and error, like painful trial and error, you know, I came to just say uncle with sugar, like I can't handle sugar, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and if I eat it, it's all I want to eat, you know, and there's many processed carbs where that's the case too, where I tried so many times to control how much I ate of it. But when I would eat it, it's all I wanted to eat. Like, like when I would eat sugar and carbs, you know, processed carbs, I had no interest in salads, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, whereas if I'm not eating sugar and processed carbs, salads taste good to me. And I look forward to making a really yummy salad. So, um, so I had to know my limits and I think it's really an individual thing for people, but I think one of the great obsessions of, you know, emotional eaters is the obsession with being normal. You know, we want so much to be normal. We look at, you know, Sally and Susan and Charlie and we're like, why can they eat those things and then stop? Like, how can they eat? You know, I used to go, you know, to Denny's or or somewhere with friends and they'd get a hot fudge sundae and they'd eat half of it and then push it away and be like, oh, I'm full. And I'm like, full? What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) You know, or, or they'd order a sandwich and it would come with fries and they'd pick up their sandwich and eat their fries. Well, I would, or, I mean, they'd, they'd eat their sandwich and pick up their fries, but I would pick up my sandwich and eat my fries. And so, you know, I was always eating the heavier, starchier, sugary foods and that's what I wanted. So I had to, you know, there, there are, it, it, there's, there's a couple things at play. One is, you know, sugar is physically addictive. It's been proven to to be as addictive as heroin or cocaine. So, you know, when I didn't know that and I would try to eat measured amounts of it, I'd fail, you know, mm. cause it would, I'd get hooked and I'd want more. It's like trying to give an alcoholic a one drink, you know, mm-hmm. like it didn't really work for me, but there's, so there's the physical aspect, but then there is the emotional aspect, you know? And so, as I've done a lot of personal work, as I'm sure you have as well, you know, my, my emotional connection and dependence on food changed to where it wasn't my primary coping tool anymore. Like food became like certainly enjoyable and I still enjoy my food, but it's not the be all and end all. And it doesn't cure my stress and my loneliness and my, you know, fear of intimacy and all these different things. And so, you know, we have to go deeper, have to deal with the emotional stuff. So we're not emotionally dependent on something, but then we also have to know ourselves and what we can and can't handle. Like what are just, you know, inevitable triggers for us. And instead of trying to be like Susie or Charlie, you know, or, or, Lisa, we, we have to say, Hey, you know what? I mean, this is what I say. I'm like, you know what? I used up my coupons on ice cream. (laughs) You know, like I just did, you know, I don't eat a bowl of ice cream. I want the whole pint and I don't care if it's sweetened with stevia or, you know, it's made with almond milk versus dairy. I mean, I just want the whole damn thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's just how I am. So, so I, 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 you know, I, I know that about myself and, and I, I act accordingly, but we're all different. And that's kind of a personal journey for sure. But regardless, 
you know, we got to address why we are so obsessed with food and why it's, you know, why it's what we turn to for everything, basically. And even I had a, another woman who was talking about emotional eating on the podcast, and I didn't really think about it this way, but we usually kind of associate it with, like you're saying, the stress or the boredom or sadness, maybe more negatively charged words. But she was saying there's so much also tied to joy, which I hadn't thought about in terms of every celebration pretty much revolves around food. We're thinking we're in the holiday season now. So we just had Thanksgiving. Now we're going to all these holiday parties. Christmas is coming up, you know, Christmas baking. You think birthday parties or even a raise at work probably is a dinner out. I mean, there's just so, so much that revolves around food. Um, I think it's just such a good point that you make that that is why self-awareness is so absolutely critical to and working on your own stuff. What do yeah. you say, what are those first steps to kind of breaking out of or getting to know yourself on a deeper level? Um, I think you say there's three hidden causes, right? Of emotional eating. Yeah. Is that kind yeah, of where so to start? I think it's a great place. And I'll give people a tool. Um, I call it the PEP test. And PEP is an acronym, P-E-P. And the first P stands for painkiller. So, you know, we know what foods, unhealthy foods do to us, but this is a way to look at, the PEP test is a way to look at what unhealthy foods are doing for us. So painkiller is a really typical way that we use food. And, and I understand that a lot of people listening be, may be like, I'm not an emotional eater. I just like food. Well, I thought the same thing. <laughs> okay. So it's good we're having this conversation because you can't unhear it. Like once you hear this information, it does kind of seep into your consciousness and you start looking at things a little bit differently. So um, we use food, not consciously, of course, but we do use food as a painkiller. You know, and life's got plenty of pain to go around. You know, either uh, we're in a job that doesn't fit us anymore, or we have relationship issues, or a parent who's sick, or a kid who's, you know, dysregulated. There's lots of pain out there in the world. There's no shortage, you know. And so we often use food to soften the edges of life. And this is why we like the carby, you know, high calorie foods, because they work you know, temporarily, of course, but they work. I mean, we don't typically binge on salads because salads don't ease the pain, you know, the way heavier foods do. I mean, we numb ourselves, we numb our emotions with food. And so that's one, one way that we use food. Another way that food serves us is we use it as a form of escape. Because sometimes our reality becomes scary, and I, my my experiences, overeaters tend to be um, overthinkers, and so we tend to think a lot, and so we scare ourselves with our worries and our fears, and sometimes we just want to check out from an overactive mind, and so eating is a good way to do that. I used to get my cookies and my ice cream and my chips because you have to have salty with the sweet and and I would sit in front of the tv and just check out and food again it's a great way to do that um the last p that was p and e the last p in pep stands for punishment which is counterintuitive because you know yummy foods are often a reward that's what we turn to them for is for a reward but for somebody who eats the way I ate, where I'd go overboard and then I'd feel stuffed and then I'd, I'd feel super mad at myself, you know, that's hardly a reward. That's more like a punishment. 
And so it really begs the question, why would I do that to myself? Why would I eat to where I feel sick and self-hating, you know, or where my gut is inflamed, you know, and, and causing me all kinds of GI issues. And it, it really, you know, made me have to look. And, and the thing is, overeaters tend to be overfeelers as well. And we feel guilty about everything. And so, you know, we have to take a look at what am I, what's weighing on me? Like, what conversation am I replaying in my mind? What, where do I wish I had said something different? Where do I, where am I beating myself up for actions that I, you know, did, you know, can I start to forgive myself? And so, you know, food is a way that we do abuse our bodies and ourselves. And so we have to take a look at that. So just to recap on the pep test, you know, if you're going to the refrigerator time and time again of an evening, hoping something will magically appear in the fridge, um, you know, take the pep test. Am I, is there something, you know, that I'm in pain about? Are there some really hard emotions that I'm, that I'm looking to kill? Um, am I, am I just sort of tired of my life and I'm, I'm, I'm worrying myself to death and I want to escape or am I looking to punish myself because I feel unworthy or I, or I've done something and I'm being really hard on myself about it. So just taking that little test is a good way to start making the connection between your eating and your emotions, you know, because we never really have, we're like, I just like food or I just like chocolate, but there is more going on. We're just not conscious of it. And so that's why I'm glad you have me on the show so we can talk about it and people can start getting a little bit more tuned in. Yeah, for sure. When I, you know, the kind of adage or trite phrase is the first step to fixing a problem is kind of identifying the problem as you're saying and doing that pep test. Then what is the next step? So if somebody, let's say they say, okay, I'm using food as an escape right now. Is it just to name that? And then how do you stop yourself from eating the food still? Yeah, no, it certainly helps to, um, you know, certainly be aware, but that's not enough. And if you're face to face with a cookie and you're looking to stop in that moment, it's probably too late. Okay. Mm. So, um, so I don't really give people tactics for all of a sudden, you know, turning around and leaving <laughs> the scene of the crime because it's usually not going to happen. So I'm pretty realistic about that. Like once I got an urge to eat or was standing there with a box of cookies, you know, it's like Katie bar the door. So, um, but what, what I really do recommend to people is they start taking a look at, uh, their stress levels. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our stress eating comes from being stressed and, uh, having too much on our plate, so to speak. So, um, basically overeaters tend to be overdoers and we are always, you know, running circles around other people, always looking for those atta girls by being superwoman and taking on too much and, you know, just really, really packing our schedule. And so I say, take a look at that. Like, where are you doing too much? Where are you doing other people's job? Or where are you, you know, being a busybody and involved in other people's problems where you need to back off? You know, because every bit of stress that we take on, will likely lead us to stress eat, you know, if we're not careful. And so it's really, and, and I, I often explain this, Brooke, by talking about it as a living problem, not an eating problem. Mm. So we're so used to going to the diets, like what diet can I eat? Or where can I start intuitively eating? Or where can I have, you know, more moderation? It's all about the food, which is really a symptom you know, overweight is a symptom of overeating and overeating is a symptom of what's eating me. And so I got to take a look at that. But it, a practical way of doing that is where, 
like where can I cut down on the stress in my life, you know? And a more practical way to even address that question is how can I start my day by getting more centered, okay? Because we tend to pick up our phone, jump on Instagram, you know, answer emails or, or um, you know, e- whatever, you know, getting on YouTube. And the problem is that we're not connecting with ourselves, And, you know, my experience is I have to start the day getting still and quiet. So I have a meditation that I do in the morning. You know, I do some prayer, praying. Um, I go for a walk. I get, I get centered, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm going to stay centered, of course, with the stress of the day, but I have a better chance of, you know, pulling from that centered place, you know, or responding to stress from that centered place versus reacting when I haven't put money in my spiritual bank account. And that's what I call it, you know, in the morning, if I have some kind of morning, morning routine, a stretching, you know, some positive messages, some positive readings, you know, if I could start that way, I'm putting money in my spiritual bank account, making deposits that I can withdraw from later in the day, and I'm going to need it. Because life is stressful, you know, so I'm either responding to that stress by grabbing for food, which late in the day, you know, my experience, uh, 75% of emotional eaters do most of their eating from like four o'clock on. Okay. Cause during the day earlier, we're just so busy. We'd sometimes we'll skip meals, which is a big trap in and of itself, but you know, we'll, we're, we're just, we're in the day, we're in the stress, you know, moving and shaking. We love the adrenaline rush, you know, but then we pay for it later if we haven't set ourselves up for success. So I say, put money in your spiritual bank account, take withdrawals from what you've put in, you know, and then next day put in some more, you know, deposits, um, cause we're going to need it. And so that's a really important thing is, you know, people always make it about the eating, but it's really not, it's about the living, you know, and there's many other tools. I mean, I, I, I um, uh, I have something I teach, which is this, um, six self-care success secrets. So I mentioned meditation. I mentioned prayer, spiritual readings, walking, talking, writing, journaling. Um, so, so important. All these things can help us get still and quiet, but also get more connected to our emotional selves because we, we typically aren't, you know, conscious of using food, uh, for art to cover our emotions, but the more, you know, tools we can use to help us get more conscious, the more aware we are that there is an emotional connection with the food uh, choices we make. Mm. It's making me, as you're talking, it's making me think of an iceberg of maybe people, like you're saying, the symptom, it's just the tip of the iceberg is maybe just blaming the food or not doing all the deeper work that you're talking about. And so I'm visualizing just clients I'm working with right now when they get into the kitchen and their spouse has brought home donuts and they're they're sitting there on the counter and then it's this kind of internal mental battle of eat the donut or don't, and then they eat it. And then maybe there's feelings of guilt or shame, but there's really just so much back work to kind of do, you know, how can you set yourself up that morning with, you're saying some type of self-care routine, maybe it's a hearty breakfast of protein and some produce and healthy fats, or, you know, get yourself off to a good start. Um, Yes. That the donuts aren't, (laughs) they're not that, that tough. I mean, maybe still tough to resist, but um, what do you say? I know I work with some clients who are really trying to create sort of a more disciplined environment in their home and to 
keep things out that are the most triggering, but then they have families. So kids, maybe even teenagers, uh, partners who are bringing in things that they know are triggers to them. Do you have any type of advice for that person? Yeah. And it's typical and it's hard, you know, it's hard to make your whole family eat the way you need to eat. Right. You know, it's, it's not really fair. If they don't have the problem, what they should be able to eat whatever the hell they want to eat. So, um, but I always recommend having a separate cabinet for the junk food, you know, so out of sight, you know, out of mind, at least in part. So I think that's really important. Like, Hey guys, this is your junk closet. You know, this is where you put your stuff, um, get it off the counters. Um, you know, but also I think this is where it's really important to have a community of emotional eaters to connect with because, you know, when it's just us, we tend to like tell ourselves a story that we're the only one who isn't eating dessert. We're the only one who isn't eating the pizza or whatever. And it's just really important to know that, no, we're not the only one, actually. A lot of people aren't doing that, you know? And so when we can um, connect with our tribe, you know, people who have, you know, the same aspirations of eating healthier, it it takes that isolation out of it. Um, So I think that's really important. And you just mentioned too, like having a healthy breakfast, like it's really important that we feed ourselves on a regular basis and skipping meals is a big setup, um, for disaster in my experience. And I'm not even a big proponent of intermittent fasting beyond, you know, 12 hours between dinner and breakfast, just because for emotional eaters, we tend to have an alarm that goes off that says I'm starving, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I'm starving and I'm going to die, you know? And so I recommend something called three meal magic, um, which is eating three meals with nothing in between, Simple, not from a diet standpoint, but just so we have some regularity in our meals, so we are well fed, you know, and um, and and there's a lot of just value in taking care of ourselves that way and making sure it's like we wouldn't tell our our sweet little daughter to to go without so that she could lose lose a few pounds, right? <laughs> so why are we telling ourselves to do that? Um, so I think that's really important as well. Um, so just, just doing things to really take care of ourselves, I think is going to help, but I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do and we have to be prepared, you know? And so the more, like we've talked about already, the more inner work we can do to clear out the troubling emotions, the the more neutral we're going to be around snacky foods that people around us are eating. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. But the other thing that just keep keeps echoing to me and that I talk about exhaustively with clients is just the self-awareness of, you know, I personally don't, I've never really been a big morning eater or breakfast person and it works great for me, but I would never tell a client that they shouldn't eat breakfast. I mean, if you want to eat breakfast or if you have these more emotional eating tendencies, then absolutely, you know, there's so many different ways to reach the goals And I think these diets tell us there's one path. So your friend's doing intermittent fasting and you think, okay, that's the only path. Or your friend, like I mentioned keto. I had a woman tell me the other day, they messaged me and they said, my friend just started eating a sweet potato for breakfast every day and they've been able to lose 10 pounds. Should I be doing that? And just everything becomes so reductionist of (laughs) (laughs) this one food or this superfood or this exact practice works for everyone. And that's just not the case. It's so critical to become self-aware and especially like you're saying for emotional eating. I have a question about another one. Um, I just love being able to pick your brain because I am getting (laughs) ideas for you with working with my own clients and then 
um, just some things that they've told me. But I do have one client who feels more introverted and she kind of ends up overeating at social gatherings because she kind of uses food as the E, as you said, the escape. And Mm -hmm. she kind of feels like when she's eating, she doesn't have to be socializing. And that's kind of her escape from that social gathering. What do you recommend for someone like that when they're using it as an escape, more of an introverted person? Oh, yeah, I've done that. I mean, it doesn't sound like I'm socially awkward, but I can be really socially awkward at parties. (laughs) I think we all can, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, like, and I used to hang out at the buffet table because it just gave me something to do, you know, and so we do. We use food as, you know, kind of like we, you know, some people use liquor, you know, same, same. Like, it it sort of helps, sort of a social lubricant, if you will. And, um, you know, and again, but really what we're talking about is uncomfortable feelings, Mm. you know? And so it, I mean, it really, to me, it really boils down so much to just not being willing or, or feeling able to just experience uncomfortable feelings. And so this is why we're reaching for food all the time, whatever it is, whatever the feeling, you know, if we can just give ourselves, you know, some space to just endure some feelings that we don't necessarily like feeling, but that pass, Mm. you know, because the feelings do pass. And, and usually it's not only the feelings, but it's the thoughts that go along with it. So when I go to a party and I'm like judging myself, you know, and like, oh, everybody looks better than me, or I'm fatter than other people, or, you know, um, I'm, I'm not as cool. I mean, who, you know, of course, our heads can just say anything. They can be so mean, you know, but just realizing that that, first of all, isn't real. That's just our mind chatter. Um, and the feelings of feeling less than can pass if we just endure them. But when we stuff them, they haven't passed. We've just stuffed them. You know, they haven't really gone anywhere. They're still in there wreaking havoc with our self-esteem. Um, and so I just really recommend that people start, again, just tuning into the fact that they're just feelings and that we can get through them, you know, say a prayer or, or grab a friend and kind of cop to the fact that, geez, I'm really uncomfortable here right now. Just voicing it to somebody safe can be so helpful, you know, just, you know, and, and we don't, we don't think to do that. We're just so knee jerk about, let me grab something to eat. But if we could just pause and put a little space between the feeling and the action of eating and just feel like, okay, what's going on right now? Oh yeah. Like I feel insecure. Like I, I somehow think I don't measure up. Like, where's that coming from? You know, is it true? No. Like, is anybody here better than me? No. (laughs) You know, (laughs) am I better than anybody? No. Like we're all equals and it's just an uncomfortable moment, you know? And I think the more we can sort of embrace those moments and realize that we're not going to die when we have them, um, we can move to the other side without, you know, doing damage. I love that. Yeah. I remember somebody telling me in my 20s um, that nobody cares about you as much as you think they do. Kind of in a... (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, there's a... was jarring, but it's true. (laughs) Yes, it is true. There's a famous quote by Mark Twain who said, you wouldn't be nearly as concerned about what people think of you if you realize how seldom they do. Yes. I mean, that's so much more eloquently said. (laughs) But it always stands out to me if I'm feeling some anxiety about oh, I wonder if this person is thinking this or that. 
I snap back to that. Nobody cares, probably. It's as true. much as you're they're not. Yeah, they're probably they're not thinking about themselves. Exactly. <laughs> it's not your nose they're looking at. They're obsessed with their own. Exactly. <laughs> how like, they look. Just how your thoughts are consuming you about yourself and what other people are perceiving. That's what's happening in their minds as well. Exactly. Um, it's kind of related, I guess, to that public speaking one of like picture everybody naked or, you know, there's all these little mind tricks you can do of right. it's not, it's not going to be as bad. It's uncomfortable, but there's all these things we can say of it's people probably aren't thinking any of the things you're thinking about yourself. Yep. They're thinking about That's themselves. <laughs> yep. No question. So how can you differentiate when you feel hungry if you're actually hungry, physically hungry, or you're act, you're looking to cure some emotional. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, emotional hunger can so disguise itself as physical hunger. I mean, even I get tripped up and I've been doing this work for 30 years. Like sometimes I'll be at my computer. I'll be all of a sudden say, I'm so hungry, you know, and which is a total crock because I did have a healthy breakfast, you know? And so I'm probably, if it's two hours later, uh, I probably am not starving. And so, um, and so in which case I need to really dig into what's really going on. Um, but that's where, you know, sticking to the meals you planned on is really helpful. Um, because then, you know, we can basically, uh, know that it's not about the food, you know, that we're really not hungry and we can look at what's going on. And, you know, if I have a phone call, I'm dreading making or a project, I don't want to do like my taxes or something like that. I can start getting hungry. You know, mm -hmm. I just get hungry and it is emotional hunger. Um, so if I am, you know, appropriately fed, you know, I've had the meals that, that I planned on and they're healthy meals. Um, I can sort of reason out and say, you know what, you're probably not starving. Like you're telling yourself you are, you're probably just having some feelings what's going on. And when we can dig into it and ask ourselves what's really going on, it's going to make a huge difference. And then we don't have to go stuff that feeling, but just deal with it. Sometimes I like to do a little check with myself. If I think I'm just so, so hungry, I'll ask myself, okay, then do you want to eat a bunch of raw veggies right now? Because if you're so, so hungry, then you would eat anything, right? So, and then if the answer is no, I actually don't want veggies and hummus or whatever, um, then I'm probably <laughs> maybe just dreaming of popcorn or chips or something that I would eat yeah. because I'm bored or procrastinating, like you said. Um, someone else online I saw the other day, they said, if 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 you're actually hungry, you won't care what it is you ate once you're full, if that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah. you know. Your, cra your cravings uh, won't be so specific to certain unhealthy foods. Yeah, exactly. You just, if you're <laughs> super hungry, then eat and get full and then your cravings will kind of, you know, go away if you're eating the more healthful, nutrient-dense things. Um, but yeah, a lot of the times the, the crunchiness and, you know, you said sugar can be addicting. It's all foods are made to be this way, right? There's jokes about you can't eat just one, you can't put the bag down. And I think that's also just really freeing to know that the the items in these bags, even the way you hear the bags open, I mean, they have been specifically formulated to be the most mouthwatering, hard to put down chips, yeah, no candies. Question. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I mean, even visualize the scientists right now working to create the new thing. 
they're trying to make the perfect, perfect combination that is going to make you addicted and want to have more and more. Um, So just even knowing that I think can be empowering. Yep. No, it's, it's, it's a jungle out there. It really is. (laughs) Well, I'm so grateful for everything you've shared. I ask each of my guests a final question, which is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's such a worthy investment for sure. I mean, uh, there's a cartoon I love that the doctor says to the the patient who's struggling with weight. He, he, he says, would you, let me make sure I do this and don't botch it. He's like, what were, what fits better into your schedule? Um, exercising, um, exercising once a day or, uh, being dead 24 hours a day <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> taking one hour for exercise versus uh 24 hours a day being dead or something and so i mean obviously the point is we do have to invest but i mean the payoff is huge i mean it's absolutely huge and um and you know our i mean if we eat a cheeseburger and fries once and then had a heart attack we'd think twice about eating a cheeseburger and fries you know like that would we seriously consider that decision but we don't have a heart attack immediately you know we'd eat you know cheeseburgers and fries for years you know and it takes years for arteries to get clogged and then we have a heart attack and it's just like it sneaks up on us you know those those simple errors in judgment repeated over time compounded through the years that's how we end up sick mm. um so it's it's we we sort of get lulled into unhealthy choices because they don't necessarily immediately you know kick our butt um but so it it takes it takes work, but I will say that, you know, what I think gets overlooked on the investment side of things is investing in our emotional selves. You know, I mean, we can join gyms, we can get on the next diet that's coming down the pike, um, you know, do, do, you know, join, you know, do a marathon or something like that. But the real work in my experience that affects everything in our lives is the emotional inner journey, you know, and really getting to know ourselves and really exploring our emotions through journaling, you know, really starting to talk out our feelings instead of stuffing them. That stuff is, you know, it does not have great, huge impacts immediately either, but compounded over time, it will not only help you be healthier, you know, physically, but your entire life will be impacted. Like your relationships are impacted. Your sense of worth is impacted. And if you feel worthy, you have feel worthy of better relationships. You feel worthy of better income. You know, you don't take crap from people, you know, and it's like everything in your life gets better. So there's no question that, I mean, I know it's a long-winded answer to your question, but, but it's like, it is like, I couldn't, I couldn't, say enough that, and I love that that's the name of your, your business and and your podcast. It's like, it is so worth it. And I will say it's really worth it to invest in coaching because, you know, food and the way we eat 
is one of those things that we all want to try to master on our own because it somehow seems like a moral failure to not Mm. be able to do it on your own. But I will just say that invest in the coaching because, you know, it's, if you haven't gotten to where you want to go, if you haven't reached your goals yet, chances are you won't on your own, you know, and why not get an expert who already knows the ins and outs and already knows, you know, what it takes, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't hesitate to do that if we want to get really good at a sport, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't find Serena Williams, you know, trying to figure out, you know, uh, how to be a Wimbledon uh, or, or, or Grand Slam winner on her own. She's got like two or three coaches, yeah. you know? And so it's like, why, like, why would we know how to be optimally healthy? Why would we know, you know, if we're emotional eaters, how to stop emotional eating, you know, we, we wouldn't, you know, so what's, what's stopping us from making that investment? It's like, it impacts everything in our lives. So yeah, I'm a cheerleader for investing. Apparently. <laughs> I love that. No, I I'm nodding my head over here. You can't see me, but I'm on board. Uh, you mentioned your free quiz at your website, healyourhunger.com. Where else can listeners follow and find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Trisha Nelson underscore the underscores at the end of Nelson um, I have a Facebook group called The Secret Sauce to End Emotional Eating. Um, I have a podcast called The Heal Your Hunger Show. Um, and, I, and I do a lot of riffing on there about the underlying causes of emotional eating as well. So, yeah, definitely. And my book. I mean, anybody who goes to healyourhunger.com can access the, the – um, that's my website. You can access the quiz. You can access my book um, as well as my podcast all there at the website. Awesome. Well, I know everybody is going to want to go there. So I will put all of those links in the show notes. And I just want to thank you again so much for being here today and sharing all of this awesome insight with us. Oh, thank you for your amazing work. And I'm really excited to have more people just know about the fact that they don't have to diet. They can they can actually address emotional eating and, and lose weight without ever having to diet again. Uh, yes. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Trisha. Thanks. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.